Well, Harvest, if you would, take your copy of God's Word. Open it to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. You can go ahead and stand as you do that, as you get your Bible and open it to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We have Bibles in the seat backs there. It's on page 986 in those Bibles, if you want to grab one of those. I want you to have the privilege of having God's Word in front of you, so I'm going to pause for just another moment to make sure you all get it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, follow along. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 before Pastor Doug comes. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You can be seated. Good morning. We are going to dive in here and uh, work out what uh, Larry just read for us there. And um, I want to begin our time here with uh, an opening statement, kind of an opening thought here related to where we're going in our time this morning, and it's this. When God's people know the power of God at work in their past, when God's people know the power of God at work in their past, they will have a greater assurance and comfort in their present and into their future. Agreed? When God's people know what God has done in their past, God's people have a far greater chance of moving ahead in the present and into the future with great assurance and comfort. Well, we're finishing out uh, um, this uh, second sentence in First Thessalonians. Uh, we are crawling our way through here at this point on purpose. And uh, we're finishing the second sentence. The first sentence is verse 1. The second sentence actually in the original language goes from verses 2 through verse 5 in there. And so uh, last Sunday we worked the first half of that sentence, verses 2 and 3. Let me just read them again for us here. Uh, They say, we, that's Paul, uh, Silvanus, and Timothy, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first thought. That's part A. Remember last Sunday if you were here, I said part A thought plus part B thought equals the whole sentence thought. All right, so last Sunday was the first part of that thought with that. And with that, out of the text, we talked about how faith, love, and hope, uh, the three key words that could summarize what the whole gospel is, faith, love, and hope, they're not passive, they're not hidden, they're not underground kind of, quote, virtues. 
Faith, hope, and love in reality here is worked out in that first part of the sentence are above ground, they're out front, they're, they're active realities. So it's not just faith, love, and hope, but it's a work of faith. It's laboring and agape love. It's, it's the enduring steadfastness of hope. It's this ongoing working it out. So in other words, it's not, as I said last Sunday, it's not a, I am a person of faith, love, and hope. That's not what it is. It's not a, I am a person of faith, love, and hope. It's a, I am living out faith, love, and hope, out front, put in play, all the time, every activity, that's what we're shooting to do. Okay, and too often we take faith, hope, and love, put it in our backpack and know that it's there and pull it out when we want it. But God's like, no, that's not what I want. I want it out front all the time, rolling and going. So we're in the second part of the sentence because it continues on verse four. Uh, We're moving from there. I have the English Standard Version, as Larry read from, and it starts with three words. What are the first three words? Read them out to me. For we know. Now, in the Greek, it's just one word. I'll make mention of that here in just a second. But for, so the for, it ties it to part A thought. Part A thought is, hey, faith, love, and hope is active. It's, it's going. It's, it's put into play. It's, it's, it's moving. It's above ground. Now, tied to that is this thing that we know. Uh, for we know. For we, we is Paul Silvanus and Timothy, Paul Silas and Timothy. By the way, what a cool triad of, of, of ministry people. And we know something. By the way, it's not a we hope something like in a willy-nilly kind of way. It's not a we have some random thought or we make some kind of assumption about something. They say for we what? Okay, for we with emphasis. For we Okay, it's like, I know something, okay? That's what's going on here. For we know. Now, as I mentioned, this is actually one word in the Greek, and it's actually in the New American Standard, I think in the New King James Version, they kind of hit it right. It's knowing. It's just the one word. It's continuing the sentence on. In other words, work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing. Those are built upon a knowing of something that's coming. Uh, They know something about that. Um, So here it is. We give thanks, verse 2. Verse 3, we remember you, and now it's we're knowing some things. Now, when someone says, hey, we know some things, and especially when it has to do with you, there's part of that that kind of makes you like, "Eh, I'm a little bit nervous. It's like if someone came up and said, hey, we are knowing some things about you. That's maybe a time to sweat a little bit. Uh, underground uh, uh, with what's going on there. But here, the, the tone of what's taking place is not that. This is not like, hey, I've set you up and now I'm going to take your legs out. Uh, in fact, in it, we can see that because he, they've already said, we constantly give thanks for you and we know some things related to you, then this is likely good. Why am I mentioning that? Because right now, this is about to lay out some words of encouragement. Okay? He's saying we are constantly remembering you and we are knowing some things about you and be encouraged by what we are knowing here. That's the tone of this. And he starts out in verse four, he says, for we know brothers, we know sisters loved by God. Now, those are little statements that are just easy to run right past. 
I want to sit on that just for a second here. For we know, brothers and sisters in Christ, loved by God. Note, he doesn't say, for we know, brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, of whom God puts up with you. He's not saying that. He's also not saying, hey, we know, brothers and sisters in Christ, you who are trying to earn God's love and favor. He's not saying that, right? He's not saying also, hey, we know, brothers and sisters in Christ, who are trying to work to appease an angry God. He's not saying that. Here in it, he simply says, for we know, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they know, brothers and sisters, that you are agape in God, by God. Maybe you've had a rough week this week. Maybe you've had a rough week with the Lord this week. Maybe you just feel like today you're even coming in and you're like, I don't even know if I want to go to church because right now I kind of even just frankly feel like a total failure before God. Hey, you need to hear this. You are loved. Okay? You are loved. Oh, and by the way, I'm talking about by God. And one of the really cool things that doesn't show up in the English here necessarily is that it's a perfect passive, this word here that's being used. And in a perfect passive, it means that you don't do the action, this other one does the action. God is doing the loving. Love is an action. So it's a passive. He is the one who is doing the loving. And it's perfect tense. That means that it's like this action was done and it has ongoing ramifications. It's like, it's not just like God is in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out of loving you. It's like God loved you and that continues. And that continues to have ramifications upon you and I because he loves you. Now, if I could kind of illustrate one aspect of that, I would do it this way. Picture someone that you love deeply. I mean, you just love them deeply. And yet they have it in their mind that they just always have to earn your love. Like, there's no way that you could possibly love them. I think we would all agree, that is totally annoying. Isn't it? I mean, when you just think about it, how annoying is that? I'll just say it here with our family. It's like, it's kind of like when that's taking place, it's like, just shut up. I love you. Stop it. Stop it. And maybe in this today, that's the word for you. If you are trying to earn God's love, good luck with that. Because we fall so short of it. Hey, this is stated perfect passive. He is doing the loving action to you. He loves you. How encouraging is that? And by the way, especially for these people, as later on here we'll go through some of the trials they're going through and just being reminded of that. He loves you. So what is it that they're knowing? Well, one, they're kind of putting in it that God loves them, but let's keep reading in the verse. What does it say here in the verse? It says, for we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you. Seriously, that's actually what the text does say. Am I right? 
Okay, because some in this room probably right now, your theological feathers are all in a fluster. Which, by the way, is the complete opposite intended purpose of Paul, Silas, and Timothy saying that. That is not at all what is supposed to happen. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, it's this. It's kind of like, so, so, so free will predestination. Calvinism versus Armenianism. It's, hey, Paul, Silas, and Timothy's words, I just got to say they're not intended to drive a wedge. These words are intended to encourage and drive together. And so it's stated here to bring assurance and comfort to God's people. It's, we're constantly thanking God the Father for you, Thessalonians. Uh, always remembering you uh, living a, your above-ground faith and your above-ground love and your above-ground hope and, and knowing, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. They're not saying, hey, we constantly thank God the Father for you, remembering you before God, your above-ground faith, love, and hope, and, and knowing that now it's time for us to say something that's to start a theological food fight. That's not what they're doing here. It's not that at all. Pastor Doug, but you have to go to this issue. You have to talk about the debate between free will and predestination. I mean, can this be? Uh, You can't bypass this debate. Actually, I can. And so can we. But, But I'll throw enough out there for you to munch on. Hey, if you are redeemed in Christ... You're chosen. You're elected. But I'm so uncomfortable with that, Pastor Doug. That's okay. It doesn't really matter. Because you are. Because that's what the text says. No, I could go get some scissors and I could cut it all out. But, but that's not the right thing to do. But, but Pastor Doug, you and I, we can't fully explain it. Correct. I can't, nor can you. Because don't we go back to like playground, elementary school? You know, just honest before you, usually when we were playing kickball, I was in the top two picks, Karen was in the bottom two. That's why we work together most of the time. <laughs> but that's the picture that we have, Right? Wait a second, does it have to be that picture? Is that really what God is in? I'm going to tell you, I can't explain it all. But I do know this. I know what it says. But Pastor Doug, doesn't that keep you up at night? No. In fact, it helps me sleep. That's the intent. So you're saying that you believe in election. Well, I'll say this. I believe what verse 4 says. I believe what verse 4 says, and and I believe what Ephesians chapter 1 says. Oh, and and by the way, on top of that, I also believe the reality of the Apostle Paul being the key guy behind, human guy behind writing this and his own story. Listen to me. The Apostle Paul was not looking for Jesus Christ. He was not out on a hunt trying to find Jesus and finally found him. Paul was on a hunt against Jesus Christ and God, Jesus Christ, showed up 
And if there's anyone to be able to say that, listen, you have been chosen, it was Paul, because he, he can't say, I chose God, God chose me. But what about free will? Oh, I want to let you know, I believe that too. Why? Because the scripture says it. Give me some examples. I'd love to. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that whosoever. John 1, 12. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Listen, dead people cannot resuscitate themselves. It's a gift of God. Romans 9 and 10. But Pastor Doug, you can't believe both. Actually, I can. Because the scripture talks about both. Pastor Doug, now you're really annoying me. That's okay. I'm okay to push your thought. Here's how I'd sum it up. From our viewpoint, if you know Christ as your Savior, from your viewpoint, you chose Jesus Christ as your Savior, right? I remember six-year-old standing between the drinking fountain and the bathroom door at church and praying and receiving Christ as my Savior. From my vantage point, I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. However, from God's vantage point, he absolutely redeemed me. And if you've repented and received Christ, you can take no credit for your decision. It was absolutely God at work in you. I can say it this way. God powerfully awakens the dead soul by opening your eyes to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and then you participate in response to God's prompting work in you. And my inability to fully grasp all that or put it all together or even to like it all, I just want for you to know, that's okay. Because God is bigger. I just know this. That's what the text says. And so while we're there, I have to teach what the text says. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, he has chosen you. And honestly, that's not a pat on our back. That's not I'm a better than anybody else. But I am going to tell you this. I'm not going to let anyone take that away from me. Because it's comforting and reassuring. God has been at work in our redeem, our redemption. Encouragement, hope, and assurance. For we know, brothers, sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Why? Well, because look at this. Why do they know what's going on? Why do they know that God has been at work among them? Here we go. Five attributes of the gospel at work. Five attributes of the gospel at work in verse five. And here's what happens. Paul, Silas, and Timothy are looking back, or they're looking back at what took place with this church, and they're referencing what's looking back, and as they look back, they say, man, I'm telling you, that happened, and that happened, and that happened, and that happened, and that happened. I'm telling you, out of looking back and seeing the past, there's no question that God has been at work. God has been at work. And that should reassure and comfort you today, and into the future. So here we go, just five things real quick. Number one, the gospel came in word. The gospel came in word because our gospel came to you not only in word, 
But that means it did come in word. Uh, Romans 9, 14, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone proclaiming? Verse 17, Romans 9. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Biblical fact, the reality of anyone ever having heard the spoken truth of the gospel is a total God at work thing. Hey friends, God was not bound and and had to come and provide the opportunity for redemption. God didn't have to do that. God didn't have to communicate that to anybody. But God has, and he has to them. And in that, you look at that, and you just understand, for God so loved the world that he sent his son. And John 1.1, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Not only did the word live among us, but the word has been spoken among us. And the fact of any of us hearing about what God has done and them hearing about what God has done, oh, we, we just go past the, 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 the core things that are so beautiful. Having heard who, what the gospel is, that is a true reality of God at work. The gospel came to you in word. Man, it's so reassuring and so comforting. Second, the gospel came in power. Now, words can be spoken, but that does not mean that they have power. I can say a lot of things, and a lot of things don't necessarily mean anything. You can say a lot of things, and it doesn't necessarily mean anything, right? But I'm telling you, when there are words that have power, there's something different about those words than just blah, blah words that we hear every day. And Paul, Silas, and Timothy are remembering how the gospel came to the believers in Thessalonica and it included in coming in power. So cool. Oh, friends, there's such great assurance and comfort in the words that come in power. But in what kind of power? In whose power? Is it a power coming from the words themselves or from the speakers or what? Well, the answer is next. The gospel came, number three, in the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit. What I so love about that comment is here Paul, Silas, and Timothy were kind of the originals bringer by God's work, bringer of the words of Christ to them. And they're not like, yeah, we were awesome. That's why we're reflecting back and viewing it so awesome. We were powerful and our oration skills were so amazing. That's why God did. No, 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 no. They're like, hey, we came and we spoke words among you and they had power. And they had power not because of us, but because of this third person of the Trinity was there in it. And as we are constantly thanking God for you in prayer before the Father and remembering your outworking of faith, love, and hope before the Father, we know that the Spirit of God was at work through us and in you. We saw it. We experienced it. And frankly, it's kind of like they're saying, there's no other explanation on what happened. But the Spirit of God did a work there. And I just got to say how assuring and how comforting that is. When you look at something and you go, that was so not me. God was there. Isn't that cool? I mean, that's reassuring. Because when you stack those times of life together, you build a reality not of comfort and assurance in yourself, but a comfort and assurance in God. 
And that's where there's real hope. Number four, the gospel came with full conviction. Full conviction. It came from, uh, it could actually be viewed as three ways in it coming here in full conviction. It could be that it came from Paul, Silas, and Timothy with full conviction. Or it can also be translated much assurance. In other words, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, were when they came, they came, they had conviction about this. Why else would people do this? And they came with full assurance in it. And also it, it came with full conviction from the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God brought full conviction. And it could also be referencing to the Thessalonians themselves. That, well, listen, when the Word of God came in power because of the Holy Spirit, conviction was brought, assurance was brought unto you. I actually think it's likely all of that. As they're looking back and they're seeing what God did, they're, they're putting this together. And can you imagine just them talking about it? Because Timothy is likely gone since they had to leave town. And we'll tell more about that history a little bit later. And he's come back, he's reporting what's happening. And here these three guys are talking about what God has done in Thessalonica. And they just sit back and they go, this is so cool, kid. You guys believe it? Because actually, the three of us, we're a bunch of knuckleheads. And yet, look at what God has done. He came in word, he came in power, and clearly that's by the work of the Spirit of God because we're three knuckleheads. And in that, uh, just bringing the conviction on what's taking place, the assurance on what's going on, God was at work there. Man, how encouraging that is and how comforting that is. Number five, the gospel came, came, I'm calling it being lived out being lived out. Love this. And we'll see this more worked out in the text as we move especially into chapter 2. But in verse 5, at the end there, it says, uh, uh, you know what kind of men we prove to be among uh, you for your sake. Now it's interesting in this because the English Standard Version and the New International Version list this as its own separate sentence and I just go boo on that. Uh, not scare you, but boo, bad on that. Because it kind of, if you read it alone, when you read it, isn't it true? It kind of almost comes across a bit braggadocious. We're like, we know. We lived the gospel among you. <laughs> That's not what's going on here. It's a continuation of the sentence here. And, and uh, what, what, what's, I think the New American Standard and the New, Eng- or the New King James Version has it where it's, going on and continuing on and yay that's the correct way to do it it's continuing the thought it's you need to understand in that day again we'll touch more on this later on in coming weeks but in that day there were i'm going to call them carnival preachers there were guys who would come into town they would preach the thing they would they would sell the uh, gospel elixir oil idea Uh, i might say it's kind of like uh, some of the televangelist holy water cons of today it's some of the prosperity gospel kind of an idea today where it's coming and it's doing this and it's kind of to, frankly, use and abuse people and then hightail it out of town. That's what used to happen back in that day as well. And yet they're looking at this and they're going, that's not the way the gospel came to you guys. That's not how we do ministry. We'll find out more on that in chapter 2 as well. But Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they came to Thessalonica and they lived among them. They lived among them to prove the reality of the gospel lived out. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. 
By the way, think about it just with Paul's story himself. Paul miraculously comes to Jesus Christ and is discipled by Barnabas, life on life. And Paul knew the power of the gospel through a real deal mentor like Barnabas. And think of Timothy, who's also in on all this. Timothy comes to Christ through Paul's ministry. And Timothy is, is like a son to Paul. And seeing life, not just hearing the word, but this is the full wraparound that's going to be coming out in 1 Thessalonians 2.8 when we get there down the road. And it comes out of this that it's like, listen, we shared the gospel with you and it came in word and it came in power and it came with the spirit of God and, 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 and in it it came with conviction. And, and also, we didn't just come and give you the word and hightail it out of town, but we came and we shared our lives with you. That's what they're talking about. We live that out in front of you because this is the real deal. And I have to tell you, if, if you have someone in your life that has lived the gospel out in front of you, mentoring you, discipling you, walking with you, just doing life side by side with you, oh my word, is that not comforting and assuring? That was the case for Karen and I with Randy and Cindy years ago. And just being able to watch a couple 10 years down the road further than we are and learn from them and get a whole new understanding of what the gospel looks like lived out in their lives. So here they are, remembering how the gospel came in word and power and the spirit and full conviction and it being lived out in real life by those who brought it to them. And the assurance, or the, the result of that is assurance and comfort by the way, it also results in knowing that you are loved by God and chosen by God. And loved ones, looking back and remembering what God has done here, I would say shouts three things. I don't have these up on the screen, just real quick, and I'll finish with this. It shouts that they are people loved by God and chosen by God. When you hear the story and you understand the things that are coming about all this, you just sit back and you go, oh my word, all of that tells this. God loves us and whatever it means, God has chosen us because I could not have chosen God on my own. I'm not that good. It also shouts that there are people to continue in assurance and comfort. Walking, in Christ, walking with Christ in the Christian life is really hard. We live in a war, spiritual war zone in this time of redemptive history. Oh, but there's assurance and comfort in what God has done in the past. And it also shouts that this is a church, when you hear all that, when God has done that kind of work in the past, that is a church that's on the move for Christ in the present and the future. When God has done a work in the past, it's assuring and comforting that God can do that and more in our present and future. Now, it's uh, 29 minutes and... I could stop and, and pat myself on the back for one of the shortest sermons ever here. And we could finish there and just kind of soak it in, but um, before we go into communion, um, I would like for us just to take a little bit of time here in a unique kind of a way. If I could have Karen and Nick and Jill and Larry come up, and uh, we're just gonna take a little bit of time and reflect on the past here. We're going to do this, okay, for just a little bit. Um, and here's what's going to happen. And here's why kind of the three of us are involved in this. Um, 
Let's go ahead and pull the chairs on up a little bit. Um, Larry and Denise, as you'll hear in just a second, were really key in kind of uh, being used by the Lord to get this whole place up and running. And Denise is in Haiti right at the moment, so she's not here. Uh, Nick and Jill are here because uh, really, uh, technically, Nick was actually the first uh, technically, by payroll status, was the first employee of Harvest Bible Chapel, and he was. And then I came later. Um, <laughs> but just, I think there's a bit of a story here from each of us. And so what we, we want to do is we want to reflect back with you. This is no pat on our backs. This is a together. Maybe you don't know some of the story. But just listen to how God has been at work in our past and word and power through the Spirit with conviction. Um, and what's the last one? And the Holy Spirit. Yeah. All right. Larry, tell us about what the Lord did. Well, it's easy for me to talk about because it's a story of God. And uh, as I look back, as Pastor Doug kind of contacted me this week and asked me to look back in context of this section of verses, uh, it is exactly a story of all the things that I can now look back on collectively and see God right in the middle of all these little things. And um, I'm going to have to not look at specific people because I'll get emotional because of uh, just things that God has done in the past. But um, So very quickly, I'll kind of weave some God things in with the history. Uh, some of you may have never heard the history, and I'll try not to bore you with all the details, but... Uh, um, our family first was introduced to the ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in 2004. A friend from college was working for Walk on the Word at the time, and we ended up going to a Walk on the Word bus tour right here in Indianapolis. It was our first exposure ever to authentic, unashamed, passionate, sincere worship in a way that I'd never experienced it. Coupled with strong committed Bible teaching. And we came away from that experience uh, very excited to have been a part of that one evening. But the first thing I would call to memory is what God was in was timing. Um, He didn't have us at that place where we were ready to be involved in church planting. And it, it was another two, two and a half years. And we found ourselves, God had worked in circumstances in life that we were then ready Um, our family was ready for a vibrant, new church experience. And in that context, um, I I remember learning that Harvest planted churches. Uh, And I went on Harvest Bible Fellowship website, um, completed an online inquiry, and and, uh, to know more about how they plant churches. But the second thing I'll tell you that God was in was, I'm not a pastor. How, how, how does a, just a regular guy plant a church? Don't you need a pastor to do that? And so, I mean, I didn't have a clue what that looked like, but I just trusted God. And so a couple weeks later, I got a, call, a follow-up call from Kent Shaw, who's the executive director of Harvest Bible Fellowship up in Chicago. He said, I got your inquiry. I'd like to talk to you. And so that led to an invitation by Kent to come to Chicago 
in uh, February of 2007, Denise and Kirsten and I, our son Kurt was at college at the time, so he didn't go with us, but the three of us went to Chicago, worshipped at Harvest in Rolling Meadows on a Saturday evening, and then had the privilege of spending dinner with Kent and Nancy talking about church planting. And he told us, just go home and pray and stay in touch with me. And so we did. And uh, he also invited me to come to Harvest University, uh, which in in those years was in the spring. So in April 2007, I went back to Chicago for Harvest University. And uh, the next thing that I can tell you that God was in, that there's no way man could orchestrate, was I walked in and I got reconnected with a couple that I hadn't seen in 20 years. And it was Doug and Karen. And I didn't know what God would do with that. Neither of us knew this. We didn't have the foresight to look ahead and see this. But God was in that. So I stayed in touch with Kent. And as I left there after three days of a, of a conference, being immersed in all things, um, how harvested ministry and planted churches, um, Kent said, when you go home, why don't you begin to seek out some like-minded people that might be open to joining with you and forming a core team on the west side of Indianapolis. And so that's what we did. And um, he also told us as we began to grow, and in the, in the early days there were like, I, I was looking back at some emails this week, and I know there were at least four or five families. And uh, I did it. I looked in the wrong direction. Um, and I just looked back and realized... We didn't have a clue what we were doing, but we were trusting. And so we started praying, and Kent said, pray for these five things. This is the next thing I can tell you that God was in. He said, pray for the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Doug's already talked about that this morning. We did. And he said, pray for a pastor. And we did. We didn't have a name or face, but we prayed for a pastor. He played, prayed for a place to meet. And then these next two are the ones that I want to tell you that God was all in and is still in today. He said, pray for people that will join you on your core team and join together as a launch team toward looking to launch a church. And we did. And people grew. Our, our numbers grew throughout the summer and into the end of summer, became 10 and 12 families. And by the end of summer, we had like 50 adults and plus kids. And God answered that prayer. But here's the next one. The last P, all these things started with P that Kenneth encouraged us to pray for. And I'm almost done, by the way. Was, he said, pray for people that will come to Harvest Bible Chapel once it launches. I encourage you to look around. I can't tell you, you personally are an answer to those prayers in early 2007. We didn't know who you were yet. But you're an answer to those prayers. Even if it's your first time today. If you've never been here before, you are an answer to those prayers for all those years. And I praise God for it. So, so the last thing was this. Um, two, two last things that I called to remember that God was in in our history was at the end of uh, summer, uh, Kent called me in September and said, I think I got a pastor for you. 
And then he kind of went right on. And I said, oh, wait a minute here. Aren't you going to tell me who it is? And he laughed. And he said, it's, it's going to be Doug Helmer and his wife, Karen. And, of course, with great joy. We'd gotten reacquainted with them. And we were kind of sharing stories about how God was working in them and their pre-launch phase. He was at the training. Doug was at the training center in Chicago then. And uh, we were moving ahead with our core team. And it was just great joy. And I remember Kent said, let's do this. Let's have a cookout and invite your whole core team. I'll come down. We'll introduce Doug and Karen. And um, it was with great celebration and excitement that Kent introduced Doug as our pastor. Lots of tears that night. Lots of joy. Lots of kind of finality of, hey, we have a pastor. Now we can be a church. <laughs> and so we looked ahead. Doug began to very tenderly and, and specifically guide us spiritually, practically toward launch. And um, so God was in that. He answered that other prayer that started with a P. And then uh, the last thing is this, is um, a couple months later, um, I, I remember one of the first things after that weekend, Doug and Karen came down and we just, he and Doug and Karen, Denise and I spent the weekend kind of praying and looking and thinking and strategizing about what next. And, and uh, Doug said, well, we're going to need a worship pastor. And um, so a couple months later, and I could take an hour and tell the story, and I won't, but I want to tell you what, God was in it in ways that no human could orchestrate to bring us um, Pastor Nick and Jill. And... Um, unbelievable graciousness by God to give us them. He's just a man, I know that, but uh, he's the man that God chose to lead us well in worship. So anyway, it's God's story, and uh, all I can tell you is this, I'll never understand why God allowed our family the privilege. But I'll be forever grateful to watch him do the things he's done here. And um, it's for his glory alone. So, praise God. Yeah, so uh, our story, um, um, where we kind of first uh, learned about uh, the ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel and and uh, was back in college. Um, we were um, both attending Cedarville uh, University and Pastor James from Chicago had came and spoke at um, our uh fall Bible conference and, and he opened God's word and he spoke in such a way that I had never heard anyone handle God's word in that way. And it came alive in my heart and mind in, in ways that I had never experienced before. And, uh, and from that moment on, I, I was just, uh, really hungry for, uh, for God's word in that way and being presented in that way. And, um, Fast forward several years, we, we uh, graduated uh, Cedarville University, and uh, I began in ministry 16 years ago, uh, this fall actually, and uh, um, had the opportunity to go up to Chicago a couple different times for some conferences uh, to, uh, to be under the ministry of uh, Harvest Bible Chapel, and we went to those conferences and loved just the way, just the way Larry described the, the powerful, passionate, uh, authentic worship and, and the presenting of, of God's word in tandem was so, uh, so 
powerful and so exactly what my heart burned for in church and uh, wasn't exactly what was going on in the places that we uh, were uh, were uh, serving in at those times. We were learning a ton. We were learning a ton from God about uh, the kind of people he wanted us to be and the kind of church that we could be involved in. And, and uh, we came to the end of a of a rough, a really hard season and, and knew it was time to uh, search out what was the uh, next place of ministry for us. And that was, uh, that was in 2007. It was actually in the summer of 2007 where we said, okay, it's time for us to, to look and see, see what's next. And um, that's when uh, we thought we had a direction, and then I, I got a call from, uh, from Larry, and he said, hey, I've got this guy I want you to meet. I said, okay. He's like, I, I, we have a pastor for Harvest Bible Chapel. And I'm like, oh, I love the ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. It's such a great thing. And we just loved it. And we're like, but I'm not sure about Indianapolis. Is it going to work in Indianapolis? You know, there was some skepticism. And then he said, you know, I want you to meet Doug. He's from this, this church in Lafayette. And I knew about that church in Lafayette. And I'm like, that's not going to work at a Harvest uh, at all. <laughs> And, and, but I loved Larry and, uh, that's definitely of the Lord. And, uh, and so I said, sure, I'll go meet this guy at Starbucks. We had just had Ian. Uh, he was what, two weeks old, eight days old. I, uh, left that beautiful home situation of an eight eight day old colicky child and, and, uh, went to, went to Starbucks and uh, I sat, sat down across from this, this guy uh, with no intention of it going any further than this conversation. And, uh, and the Lord immediately stepped in. The Lord knit our hearts together. Uh-huh. And to just give you a breather... I really had the same thing towards Nick. I, we were coming, and I had heard from where he was from, and I was like, that ain't going to work. <laughs> and we were both coming with the exact same thing. Out Just of, to out appease of, Larry. To appease Larry. <laughs> Just to get him off of our backs. <laughs> totally was. And, uh, but the Lord used that and knit our hearts together in that, in that hour very quickly. And, and I walked away from that meeting knowing that okay, I think it's, we need to go to harvest. And, and Jill met me at the door after that meeting and, and knew I was crazy and, (laughs) and was not totally on board. And, 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 but the Lord was in that and, and, uh, the Lord gave her a submissive spirit and we, uh, yeah, (laughs) we said this yesterday, we were talking, it's probably the first time in our young marriage that we remember a submissive. Here's what I remember. Can I say something? Is that okay? Okay. I'm I'm not sure. What I remember is that I almost missed it. And what I mean by that is Ian was eight days old and I was very overwhelmed and I didn't know what was happening and why in the world would we plant a church that wasn't on the radar? I knew we couldn't be where we were, but this isn't where we're going. And I didn't know who these people were and the other people seemed a little safer to me. So let's do that. But we said it was the one time, literally, probably at that point, we were only five years in, that the Lord shut my mouth 
I, I mean it. My mother can attest to that. <laughs> the Lord shut my mouth, but he completely changed my heart. And we have said so many times that you guys prayed me specifically here. And that is the absolute truth. That was God at work getting us here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just totally, uh, totally God at work in, in really the whole thing and uh, allowing us to be a part of, of this work and really uh, a work that he had been doing in our hearts and our minds just for many, many years and coming to fruition uh, really in, in the fall of 2007 going into, into to the church launching in March of 2008. It was really a privilege and a, and a joy to do that. You know, what strikes me is that you go through your life and you're, you're trying your best to follow the Lord and, and seek what he wants you to do, and you don't really know till years go on, years pass, and then you can look and you go, oh, that's why that happened, and that happened, and that happened. And that's a benefit, I think, of being a little bit older in life, that you have things to look back on. Um, so I'm going to go way back, about 30 years ago. Uh, Doug and I moved to um, Fishers, Indiana. We had been in Lafayette, or in Fort Wayne. We've been everywhere in Indiana. But um, from Fort Wayne to Fishers, and we were just a young couple, no kids. Doug was working in a business and um, looking for a church. And we got a little postcard in our mailbox about a church that had just started. And um, it looked interesting, and, and so we thought, well, let's go. Well, it happened to be a church that Larry and Denise were attending were planting that church in Fishers, Indiana. And so that was when we met Larry and Denise. Just briefly, you were there nine months. months. Um, And then we didn't see each other again until that meeting you talked about 20 years later. And even then, we had no clue. You know, we, we we were starting to think Harvest was who we wanted to plant with. Um, and we heard that you guys were thinking about it. I thought, oh, wouldn't that be interesting to like go to a couple of their core team meetings and see what they look like? Because someday we're going to have a core team, maybe in Colorado. Um, that's, what we were. <laughs> that's what we were hoping for. We were. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go Colorado. see what this looks like. <laughs> and we really did. We went to maybe two of your core team meetings, just sat in the back and watched to see what a core team looked like. And honestly, our, our hearts grew in love with these people, even though we thought, well, we'll never be with them. But they loved the Lord, and that just spoke to us. And we were like, wow, if we could someday have a core team like that, wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be a great gift from the Lord? And that's what he gave us, even though we had no idea. And the funny thing, too, is about that church that planted the church in Fishers, that's where Nick and Jill ministered. And so you just see God weaving all of these things together that man could never have come up with on our own. Just the Spirit of God and honestly the faith for all of us to say, okay, let's plant a church and just trusting that God was going to build his church. And if he didn't, then we'd go on to the next thing. But we did pray you here. That's why you kept your mouth closed, because we were all praying. <laughs> well, I'll just kind of finish it here as well and just uh, make one of the notes in, in all this whole process is 
I hope right now you are seeing that God has been at work here in the past. And I don't know, you may have come here just recently and kind of think this is just here and so on and so forth. But I want to tell you, this is a God story. And this is far beyond what any of us could ever have imagined. I even remember in the very first couple months just the whole thing of, for me, this was my first senior pastorate. This is my first time in being on a preaching on a weekly basis. And I remember driving in the car from Chicago the one time before we were launching, telling Karen, you know, I'm kind of okay with the leadership thing. I've done a, a bit of that in my life so far. But the whole preaching, week in and week out, I don't think they know I am scared to death about that. And uh, uh, it's like, oh God, can, can I do this? Because I have the perfect opportunity to completely mess this whole thing up. And uh, there was just something about, in those first few months, seeing right off that uh, I made mention Paul, Silas, and Timothy kind of around together, like we're just a bunch of knuckleheads. And I would say it this way. This has just come from including the launch team. Sorry to include you in on this, but you're bu- we're all a bunch of knuckleheads. And yet God did something amazing there, a sweet spirit of humility, of willing to serve wherever, um, um, not wanting to have the common church power fights. But we want to be a team together and being able to see that on Sundays just with the worship and the word and how God has used that. Um, Hey, out of this, I think this has brought for our families for sure, I hope to all of our family, the reassurance and the comfort that God has been at work. And by the way, we could just continue for this for hours and days on what God has done since. And here's the thing. When people look back at the past and are satisfied with the past, they're in trouble. When people look back at the past and are encouraged and comforted and assured to press ahead, that's what God wants to grab a hold of. So our objective today is to, hey, friends, we've seen God at work, and we want to see more of God at work, right? More in in ways that only he can explain, only he can do beyond who we are. Now, let's take this, and let's have a time of communion together, okay? So I'm going to call the communion servers if they'd come and get in place and um, we're going to gather around here and uh, have communion and just celebrate what only God has done, what only God has done through the death and the resurrection of Christ. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, the opportunity to partake in communion is a remembrance of that. It's a remembrance to look back at what Christ has done on the cross and at the resurrection and to remember who he is and what he has done. God himself, the second person of the Trinity, came in the flesh, died on the cross to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And out of all of that, the Lord did a work. And if you know Christ as your Savior, this is a time to remember what Christ has done and to be assured and comforted in the reality of that, in his blood that was shed, in his body that was broken, so that you and I could be able to have relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ for all of eternity. If you're not sure what that relationship with Christ looks like, I want to encourage you to talk with someone today. Get with them and say, come on, help me understand this. I'm seeing an assurance and a comfort that is beyond what I've ever understood. I want to know Christ personally. I want to walk with him. Uh, Get with someone and talk.
you know Christ is your Savior, this is a time for us just to come grab the, grab the bread, grab the uh, cup, take it back to your seat. We'll all partake together here in just a few minutes. So let's go ahead and do that at this time.